0: As I usually do, I wanna begin with a question. Where do you find your strength to persevere? Probably all of us have some degree of testing and, and a hurdle that we need to overcome in our life right now. Maybe it's small, maybe it's great, maybe it's life-shattering right now, but where do you find your strength to persevere? Uh, to begin lightheartedly, I have a pull-up bar. It looks like this, but it's in the basement, it's in the doorway, and I try to do pull-ups. Um, and pull ups are very hard for me. And I remember at one point as I was going through my regiment and just trying to do that last one, I was just trying to find the extra strength to do it. And so my mind just started working. I imagined myself hanging on the edge of a cliff and, and just for my dear life, you have to save your life, Albert. And I couldn't pull myself up. And then I thought, just my mind went there. I imagined Emma, my beautiful, precious little daughter, on my back. And I started literally screaming, I was home alone. It's like, Emma! <laughs> and I found the energy and strength to do that last pull-up. And I saved her and myself. Now, don't ask me if I've tried that test, imagining other people in my family, if it still works. Just don't ask me, okay? I won't go there. But it certainly worked, thinking of my my daughter. She's got me wrapped around her little finger. Now, in all seriousness, where where do you find your strength to persevere? Uh, Generally... We, we, I think some of us, we, we find strength to persevere by something in front of us. And for some of us, it's that next approval, that, that next word of acceptance or promotion or recognition. And it's enough to motivate us to want to crash through quitting points. For some of us, it's that next adrenaline rush, that next experience, just our sensations being made alive. A lot of us work for the weekend. When we are younger, the weekend is is about, you know, just going downtown and having a night out and dancing and and doing other things. And uh, for some of us, it might be now that vacation, but but just some kind of rush in our sensations. For some of us, it's accomplishment. That next accolade, that next goal, that next project that we want to accomplish and say, this one's in the books as well with great success. And for some of us, perhaps... The most, more soulful types, we, we, we are waiting for that next aha moment, that next awakening. There's something to learn here, and I'm waiting to find that piece of wisdom or insight into life. Now, I trust all of us are here today because we want to know what God has to say about life, and here today specifically, the strength to persevere. I want to point to Psalm 57, and of course, the, the Old Testament, uh, the first 39 books of the Bible is God generally saying, here are my requirements. And even Jesus himself uh, on the road to Emmaus when he was resurrected, he, what he taught was to look back to the law and the prophets and the Psalms for God's requirements, but also his answer, his own answer to his own requirements. But here we see it penned in a beautiful manner from the psalmist David in 57. What does God the, fire, God the Father require of us? To cry out to him. And David was finding some strength to persevere. And put differently, this was God's requirement of how to find strength to persevere. And so we just pick up the first two verses. Be merciful to me, O God. Certainly David, the psalmist here, is in need. He has some situation in his life where he needs compassion and someone to come alongside beside him and give him strength to make it through. And so he prays, be merciful to me for you, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high. And so here God is giving us through the example of David what we're meant to do, to cry out to God. And what is David's longing? To find strength, to persevere, and to get to the end so that he could discover God's purpose for him, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Now as we come to Acts chapter 12 today, this scripture helps us. It gives us wisdom and insight on how to persevere by faith in Jesus. And so let's dive right into it. First, exhortation. When when you are tested, pray earnestly. When you are in need of finding strength to persevere, when you are in a test in life, we need to learn to pray earnestly. So we pick up the narrative in verse 1. This is Luke, the doctor who recorded the history. He put it down, the history of the, the early church, the first church. We pick up in verse 1, about that time, Herod the king, this was the grandson of Herod the great, who was king when Jesus was born, and he was such an evil soul that he permitted, he uh, gave the approval for an infanticide to try to kill off Jesus because Jesus was his competition to be king. And so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, this Herod the king now laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John. This is the John who wrote the gospel of John and the three letters of John. And basically to kill him by the sword was to behead him. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So we see here, we would be remiss to miss the actual point of Luke, including this chapter. And he's recording in the history of church that the church certainly faced its persecution. People came against them for their faith in Jesus Christ. And we get another clue of that because this was during the days of unleavened bread. That is basically, in biblical terms, the time for the Passover. And what does that mean for the Christian, for the Christ follower, during this time when this was happening, but for you and me today? As far as I can put it together, as I comb through uh, the first 11 chapters of Acts, there's no other mention of the Passover. So this as far as I can deduce, is the first anniversary of Jesus' death and resurrection. This is the first Good Friday and Easter. Jesus had come, and during the Passover, he died. He went to the cross. He resurrected. He showed himself to witnesses. Then he ascended into heaven, and now the Spirit has come, and we've seen the first year of the church in the first 11 chapters, And now this is the first year anniversary of Jesus' death and resurrection. The first Good Friday and Easter, if you will. And during this time, because of their faith in Christ, and especially at this time of the year, when they're remembering what happened to Christ, maybe Herod was trying to make a statement that this Jesus who died a year ago, he's not worth following. And so he targets the leaders of the church. James, James. And then he proceeded, and when he saw that, it pleased his people. Isn't that often how persecution happens? Uh, certainly you and me, we don't face the kind of persecution that the early church did. And we would be remiss as well to forget the persecuted church today February 4th, 2018, somewhere in the world, and this is a map what you see on the screen, the green and orange countries are countries where Christians are still being martyred, literally, and living in precariousness as the early church was. And we would be remiss to miss the the, the main point of Luke leaving this chapter for us. That when you stand up for Christ, don't be surprised if you become persecuted. If people come against you and just heard because it pleased others. That's how often just uh, majority opinions happen that don't agree with, with Christ and his ethics and his values and, and, and living as the church. And, and they'll question Christianity. And here in Toronto, perhaps it'll come as being made fun of and, and lesser persecutions. But nevertheless it would mature us as a church. It would mature you and me as believers to not forget the blood that was spilt and the blood upon which the church was built, starting with Jesus's. But here's the exhortation. As Luke continues, they seized Peter, put him in prison, and now Herod's intention was to eventually make an example of Peter as well and martyr him. Uh, execute him. But look at the response that the church had, and you and I are supposed to have today, February 4th, 2018 as well. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. Addressing my fellow Christian friends, the church, We are meant to be a praying people. We are meant to be a praying people. Why? There's blessings in prayer. The blessings of prayer in Jesus' name, just two for today. Relief for our troubled lives. This is what I've experienced. I've shared very openly just my, in the past year and a bit especially, just navigating depression, and in my darkest moments, when I cry out to God, when I pray in Jesus' name, eventually there does come a peace, a concrete peace in my heart that calms my mind down, my anxiety down. This is a blessing of praying in Jesus' name, a relief for our troubled lives, and the insurance that God is concerned about our every need. Why? Because consider this thought, when you pray in Jesus' name, God cannot be deaf towards you because he cannot be deaf to Jesus, his son. So even though you don't sense something initially, even though you don't hear anything audibly, just know, believe, have faith. God hears you. He does hear you. And so we can conclude with another fellow pilgrim Kenneth Osbeck, through the ages, devout believers in Christ have recognized the necessity of maintaining an intimate relationship with God through his ordained channel of prayer. Be encouraged to keep seeking God, crying out to him, praying. Second, ask God to turn your tests into testimonies for his help. Ask God to turn your tests into testimonies of his help. See this in the next few verses. But first, the thought to put us, gets, get us thinking about this George Matheson in his rests by the river devotional. It says, our God does not beat down the storms. He doesn't get rid of your circumstances. He doesn't wave a magic wand and all of a sudden put you in a nice little clean bubble and make your life sterile. No, he rides upon the storms. He works through them. And we see this in chapter 12. We see this as Luke picks up, verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. And a light shone. This is Peter in the prison cell now. And a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And, And then the next verses unpack how the angel delivers Peter. Now, let me pause here. And to my skeptic friends here today, I'm someone who also tries to be intellectually honest. And I know what we just read. I have to pause and just call a spade a spade. This seems fanciful. And you're probably thinking, okay, so where are the unicorns now? And it seems fanciful, like a fairy tale. Well, I want to invite all of us right now just to put on our thinking hats. Put on our thinking hats and just consider this argument. And I'm just going to read through a few quotes. Modern science wants to believe in angels. Just look at our intense and exorbitantly funded search for extraterrestrial life. Let's be honest. We want to believe in the supernatural. The Bible tells us that the supernatural is already right here. And the point of the thought, this thought, is this. That as we look out on the world right now, there are fields and fields all across the world and high mountaintop telescopes that we've poured in billions and billions of dollars. And these satellites that, you, you see a picture of it on the screen, are in rows. And they're all focused intensely and trying to find one little tiny blip of a radio wave of some communication, hoping thinking, wondering if there is life at the ends of our cosmos. And can we just call that what it is? We, we want to believe that there is some sort of supernatural, extraterrestrial life beyond our imagination. Well, consider this thought. Modern science and technology are ancient science accelerated. The prune Nature's laxative is now Metamucil and X-lax. The homing pigeon is now the smartphone and Twitter. On one hand, there's nothing new. And what this argument is saying is basically primitive science has just developed and progressed. And, and the basic ideas have, yes, turned into more sophisticated technology and little microchips and wires and so forth. But pretty much it's, it's just all the same thing on the same trajectory. So modern science and technology and even medicine is just science accelerated. On one hand, there's nothing new. Miracles then, similarly, are natural science just time warped. They show us a glimpse of the final renewed and good life God intends in his new creation. One pastor puts it this way. We usually typically think of, and critics, skeptics think of, Uh, miracles as a suspension of the natural order, that it's going against the laws of nature. But as we understand it, as I understand it, no, it's God actually not suspending and being illogical even to the principles that he's woven into this universe, but he's actually restoring what he always meant to be, the perfect natural order before sin came and mucked up our whole existence. And so when we see miracles, today it's not a healing, but we've seen many healings and acts, and this is a sign of our, our final life, where God will heal everything and restore everything to what it was meant to be. One more thought, then even modern science, modern medicine then at heart, is hoping for the resurrection. If not, then why do we work obsessively to curb the inevitable death? You see, even modern medicine and all its wonders are a sign that point to a better world that our hearts long for. Why do we want cures to work? Because we want to be with our beloved friends and family for as long as we can. There will be, see, modern medicine, it's just a a pointer to a better world that we long for, that everyone will have every limb, everyone will be able to run and dance and, and have healthy minds. It actually points, even our science points to the fact that we long for a better world. So when we pray, we're reminded that we live in tension between times, that there will be a day when we will no longer need to pray. And this is now coming back to the the actual point, the second point. We want to pray. We want to ask God to take our tests and turn them into stories, testimonies of His help And so we see Peter conclude this way in verse 11. When Peter came to himself, he experienced the miracle. Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel. The point is Peter realized that this test was all to come to know and experience God all the more. His help, his grace, his provision. And so he realized this. Now, I know day to day, you and I, we don't experience the extraordinary supernatural miracles as much. And even in Scripture, if we're honest, we look through the Bible, the New Testament, they were far and few between. They were the exception. The miracles were the exception. Even Jesus himself didn't heal everybody while he was on earth. The purpose of these miracles was a sign to point to the new creation, our our hope in eternity. So don't miss out. Just because you don't experience extraordinary miracles every day, don't miss out on even what the, the pop artist Sarah McLaughlin, has a beautiful song, looking for ordinary miracles. And in our lives, when you are naturally impatient, and as you pray and cry out and walk in step with the Spirit, and then you experience an ability to be patient because you think of Christ and how he's been patient towards you, that's a miracle. When you are able to hold your tongue, when you normally would just be quick to send a rampage of verbal missiles, because you think of Christ, and because of him, God withholding his words of condemnation towards you, that's a miracle. When you are able to look out on your life, and even though you've amassed great wealth and position, and and you're in a great station in life, and you realize that all of this is for naught, if I can't be reconciled with God, be me right before him, and you're willing to bow low, you're willing to let down your pride and humble yourself before God and say, Jesus, what you did for me, I get it. I accept it. That's a miracle. Third then, find strength to keep going by sharing your testimonies of God's help. We see this in the last section. And just getting to the end, as Peter is freed, he goes to the church that was gathered in hiding, and then he's now with them. And verse 17, what does he do? But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. I'm so grateful for Peter's example here. Even though he experienced this miracle, he doesn't make the focal point the sensational experience. But even the miracle, the whole point of it was for him to come in a greater, deeper encounter with his Jesus. To fall more in love with this Jesus that has loved him and set him free. And so he describes to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Can you do that? When's the last time you shared your own personal story? Whether it's how you came to Christ or just a most recent experience you had of leaning in by faith in Christ and looking to Him to persevere and find strength in Him and just sharing how He's been a help to you. Now, Peter here, he was set free from a literal prison. And we would be remiss, again, if we forgot our Christian brothers and sisters who are literally in a prison today, right now, because they're still part of the persecuted church. We would be remiss if we don't keep that in our view and, and let that humble us and, and give perspective on our, our day lives here in Canada. But there's also a heart, there's, there's a symbolism behind this too. You can tell your stories of, of how the Lord has set you free from your emotional prisons, your, your psychological prisons, your just getting you through a, a tough spot at work. Tell these stories. And look what Peter does. After he tells the story, then he departs and he goes to another place. What's that saying? He kept going on the mission. He kept staying on mission. And this test that became a testimony as the church was praying and found strength to persevere as they leaned into God, cried out to God through prayer. It became their strength. And he has strength to carry on and to complete the mission. Let's begin to bring it home. So who here, myself included, who here trusts God's name and his steadfast love to the point of perfect peace? Raise your hand if you do. It's, it's rhetoric. Okay, amen. Thank you. <laughs> Myself, my personal confession, I wax and wane. If I'm honest, I have my days where I do experience this peace. On my days, too, when circumstances initially hit me, that my mind spirals down. My, my emotions become very anxious. And this perfect peace isn't, isn't constant for me. And so even when we think of God's requirement, David being this example of what we're supposed to be, crying out to God and trusting his name perfectly, his steadfast love perfectly. I, I, I can't fulfill that perfectly. You know where this is going. A story came to me. I was reminded of a scene in Lord of the Rings Fellowship, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, and towards the end uh, of that book, the last chapter, Frodo, uh, he is carrying this burden, the ring. And if you're not familiar with the story, and there's a fellowship, a group of, of people who are protecting him and trying to help him finish his mission. But at one point, Frodo also believes he's a burden on them. And so he runs away, and he's trying to now finish the mission on his own. But his best friend, Samwise uh, Gamgee, he realizes Frodo is gone, and he goes searching for Frodo, and he runs to the riverbank. He notices that Frodo is just now docking off in a, in a, uh, a rowboat or some boat. And so Samwise runs as hard as he can, and he leaps, he lunges. And Tolstoy, uh, not to, Tolkien describes that he missed the boat by a yard, and he falls into the water and he begins to drown. And then he describes beautifully that Frodo reaches down and pulls him out, and then when they're on dry land, we pick up here, and Frodo is saying to Sam, so all my plan is spoilt," said Frodo. It is no good trying to escape you, but I'm glad, Sam. I cannot tell you how glad. Come along. It is plain that we were meant to go together. Who's Frodo when we compare to our lives? And who's Sam? We're we're Frodo. We're the one that keeps pushing away this faithful friend. And there's a Sam type of person in our life, Jesus, that even though we want to run away from him, even though we, we push him away, he keeps chasing us. And we see a clue of this in today's scripture. Verse 3, during the days of unleavened bread. The first Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And the people of God, the reason why, even though their prayers faltered, and we saw actually there was a girl that they couldn't believe that it was Peter. They thought, no, it must be his angel. He should be dead. (laughs) They were praying for Peter's deliverance, but they couldn't even believe their own prayers. (laughs) And so we're reminded of this Jesus, this good news. The good news of the cross and the empty tomb. It's always two sides of the good news. First, the good news of the cross is that where we fail to cry out to God, Jesus cried out to God to the point of death on the cross. Your prayers and the strength of your prayers don't depend on you. And your ability to find strength to persevere through whatever test you are facing, it doesn't depend on you. It depends on this Jesus who cried out to God even where we fail to cry out. And the good news of the resurrection is that God is declaring to Jesus. when, When God raised Jesus from the dead, and he walked out of that tomb. That tomb was a literal and symbolical prison of sin and death. And God the Father was happy to vindicate Jesus and set him free from that prison of sin and death. And what he's saying to Jesus is, I have heard you, son. I have heard you and I vindicate you. What the prayers you have cried out to me from the cross on behalf of all the sins of the world and every soul that will come through history They satisfy my justice. They satisfy me. And so I'm pleased to show the world that your life was true. Your life was good. And so what it means for you and me is that God is declaring to you and me, because I vindicated my son, I hear your prayers. And then as we pray through our tests, We'll find strength to persevere, and our tests will become wonderful testimonies of God's help. And then we share these stories, and we continue on on our mission. And it's just every day, repeat. And so I end with this sweet song sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. The wings shall my petition bear to him whose truth and faithfulness engage the waiting soul to bless. And since he bids me seek his face, believe his word and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. Amen.